This episode of She Explores is sponsored by Columbia Sportswear and their OutDry Extreme technology. It's used in shells, jackets, pants, and boots to keep you dry and ventilated. Stay tuned for later in the episode to learn more about how it works. Stay dry and comfortable no matter what. Learn more at blog.columbia.com forward slash outdry. I'm Gail Straub, and you're listening to She Explores. The repetitive motion of moving down a trail, like you can sometimes have this like great specific idea of something you want to implement, but it's also a really good time to kind of zoom out a little bit because sometimes you have to like pull away a little bit from your day-to-day life in order to really see with greater clarity. I don't know about you all, but I spend way too much time online, be it researching, reading articles, scrolling the infinite scroll of social media. I'm often connected, but I'm always trying to keep up. Don't get me wrong, I'm really grateful for it too. She Explores wouldn't exist without it. The in-person connections I've made thanks to glowing tiny squares and the ping of push notifications make offline time that much sweeter. In a lot of ways, this is a simple episode about making friends offline. But it's also about the headspace you cultivate when you step outside and how that makes room for thought and inspiration. And it's also about experiencing an outdoor space through creative work and wanting to dig deeper than surface level when recreating, when camping and hiking and doing all the things we love outside. And for me, recording this episode was also about listening very closely. I wonder how many crabs are in here. One, two. That is the sound of water filtering through mussels clinging to rocks on the beach. But it's also crabs crawling between them. And me talking to myself. And the smudgy sound of my fumbling with the field recorder. It's seagulls in the distance. It's wind. Sound has so many layers. Recording this episode was also the very first time that I brought a field recorder outside to capture ambient sound. So inevitably, it's also about making mistakes. But I digress. I'm okay. (laughs) Last August, Columbia Sportswear brought Megan McDuffie and Heidi Annalise and myself together camping and hiking on the Olympic Peninsula of Washington. We'd never met in person, just online. Megan is the co-founder of Fresh Off the Grid, a camp food blog and recipe site. Heidi paints tiny landscape paintings en plein air. Heidi, could you describe what you see right now? So we're looking out at this beautiful beach that ends 
and all of these amazing sea stacks. A few of them have trees growing out of the top of them. And some of them are just really? disappearing trees? into the mist. This one over here and then one back there. And the fog keeps kind of dissipating and then another wave comes in. And so they're kind of appearing and reappearing. And the beach is completely deserted too. It's just definitely gives you that edge of civilization feeling. I've always believed that everyone has a unique way of taking the world and reflecting it back out in different mediums. For Megan, it's food. For Heidi, it's often painting. While we have different mediums, we also found that we have a lot in common. quotes about entrepreneurship that I read recently was that entrepreneurs are the only people that will work 80 hours a week to not have to work 40 hours yeah. a week. <laughs> and I was just like, oh. That's exactly it. I'm not the only one. <laughs> I don't even know the difference between a Tuesday and a Saturday anymore. It's just, it all blends together. Yeah. We're all pretty introverted and silly and driven. And we learned about each other quickly on the trail. If you could, just a few words to describe Megan, a person that you'd never met before the last couple days. Oh man, this question really puts a person on the spot. Um, I think that she's a very like thoughtful and determined person. She can be a little bit quiet. I think all three of us, you know, we have sort of that introverted dimension to our personalities, but I, I think that she's incredibly capable and has a lot of just like personal internal strength that you start to see pretty quickly when you spend a little bit of time around her. You can tell that she is not somebody who gives up on something easily. And, you know, she might come across initially as somewhat soft-spoken at times, but um, she definitely is, um, you know, willing to fight for her opinions and stand up for her dreams and accomplish what she wants to accomplish. So I started Fresh Off the Grid two years ago with my boyfriend, Michael, and we still work on it together. And uh, we started it as something just kind of for fun. Um, we were going to be going on this like long road trip and camping the whole time. We were having a hard time reconciling our love for healthy eating and for cooking together with a life lived outdoors. And we just couldn't find a whole lot of resources on healthy takes on camping food. And so we just started chronicling our own experiments and putting them online. It was sort of just like a fun project for us to work on together while we were traveling. And during that time, people started getting really interested and excited about it. And so we decided to keep pursuing it. And uh, it's just, it's really grown in the last two years that we've, we've started and it's become our, basically our full-time job. Do you ever get nervous cooking for other people? I I do. I feel like 
what I love about cooking is, I don't know, like sharing, sharing something that I create with people and using that as a way to like show care for the people I'm with. Mm. Um, but I also do get a little nervous, especially for like new people, because you just never know like people's tastes. And when you're a creative, like putting your work out there for people to like consume and judge. And you're <laughs> literally, they're literally consuming. literally consuming it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I, I want to bring people like joy and satisfaction and, you know, I feel like I put pressure on myself to do that. So, but I, I do truly enjoy that. And when you serve somebody a meal or show them creative work of yours that they then connect with or really enjoy like that's so satisfying it's mm. worth putting yourself out there but so it's the risk and the reward exactly <laughs> yeah risk and reward that's a phrase we can apply to so many facets of our lives but one parallel that's worth drawing as you listen to these women's stories that of creative and outdoor pursuits I think there are similar mental blocks that arise for both when you first get started. It is just too easy to compare yourself to others, especially those that are so often promoted in mainstream media, whether it's famous artists with sold out gallery shows or alpinists summiting the highest peaks of the world. How intimidating. Yet Megan and Heidi's stories are anything but. I find Heidi to be quietly hilarious and very insightful. I just, I really, really appreciate the, like the thought that she's put into her art and the business of her art. And uh, I don't know, she's, she's just like a very like gentle, but very funny person. Um, so going way back, when did you start painting? Like how, how did you find that as a medium that worked for you. I feel like in that regard, my story is maybe a little bit different than a lot of other artists I've met because I feel like a lot of times I've heard, you know, I was like the little kid on the school bus constantly doodling. I always had a pen and paper in my hand and that was actually not quite me. I think I found like different modes of expressing myself creatively throughout my childhood, but a lot of it for me took the form of creative writing. And then I encountered that moment that I think a lot of people do at some point during their childhood where something comes along, something like real worldy that discourages them from pursuing creativity and kind of makes them go a bit into hiding. And for me, it was kind of ridiculous. I guess I was just a little competitive and I entered this story writing contest and did not win and was horribly upset by this and swore that I was never going to let anyone read anything I wrote ever again. And so at that point, you know, I was, I'd been writing all these little stories and illustrating them, and I pretty much stopped doing all of that. And it wasn't until a lot later, um, in middle school, I took like one watercolor class, but I don't think it was a good fit for me because it's very unforgiving. And as a perfectionist, I was constantly frustrated by making a mistake and not being able to repair it. Mm -hmm. So that didn't really stick for me. It wasn't until um, just about almost four years ago when... I realized that I was kind of losing another one of my creative interests, which was dance. I got really into that in college and 
ended up having some foot problems that led to me getting a couple of surgeries. And afterwards, I realized that there were way too many complications. I was always going to be struggling with my feet, and I wasn't going to be able to go back to dancing the way I did before. Mm. And I kind of had this moment where I sat down with myself and I was like, if you don't find something else, you're going to turn this into a massive pity party. Um, so I had that chat and I was like, you need a new hobby, kiddo. So I decided to, on a whim, sign up for this oil painting class. So what is it about oil painting that you hold on to that, that resonated with you? Uh, I think it's probably two main things is what it boils down to for me. One is, um, I mentioned that I'd say just a little bit of watercolor in middle school and that it was really unforgiving. I feel like with oil paint, you have more opportunities to potentially repair your mistakes. So I like that uh, more forgiving nature. Mm. And the other thing is um, I feel like out of all the different kinds of paint you can use, oil paint seems to be the most vivid in terms of color, and that's what I'm really drawn to. Like I feel like as an artist, I would probably say that drawing is not a particular strength of mine. I never really studied it formally and you know I would not be a great person to teach you perspective Um, but I love the use of color so that's what really keeps me going back to paint as opposed to drawing. What are some of the colors that you remember seeing today and and over the past couple days? I think the brilliant green of, um, I guess it's some kind of like algae or like other sea plants um, really sticks out a lot because it's such an intense contrast. It's practically fluorescent green up against um, all the black and gray of the wet rock and um, the white sky, the fog. Mm. Yeah, I love like how this morning it was all white and there was just kind of this like pale blue that went up into white like when we were scaling along the side of the cliff and then after the fog burned it was like we were in an entirely different area like it was like we were in a different place than we were this morning and that's like one of the things that I've kind of fallen in love with about this area yeah it's it's pretty incredible it's to the point where you can go back to the same place later after the fog is gone and like it takes you a minute to connect the dots and realize oh wait I was actually here before Heidi, Megan, and I were getting to know each other while getting to know this place. After the break, we spend more time doing just that, and I talk with Lorraine Green, a member of the Macaw tribe, who knows the sounds, sights, and tastes of the peninsula intimately. This episode of She Explorers is sponsored by Columbia Sportswear and their OutDry Extreme technology. Outdry Extreme is Columbia's first ever waterproof and breathable jackets and pants with a waterproof layer on the outside and fabric on the inside. With waterproof seam taping applied directly to the outside of the garment and a wicking next to skin membrane inside, you'll stay absolutely dry and comfortable no matter what. I love the Outdry Extreme because it considers the fact that especially when hiking. Moisture comes from the elements outside and also develops on the inside as you exert yourself on the trail. I've used the Outdry Extreme on both coasts, hiking the White Mountains of New Hampshire and camping on the Olympic Peninsula. 
you can see me testing the Outdry Extreme technology on the rainy Olympic Peninsula in Columbia's short film, Offline. Find it on their YouTube channel or linked in our show notes. Stay dry and comfortable no matter what. Learn more at blog.columbia.com forward slash outdry. We're back. Do you ever get to that place where like you're talking and then you become like and you're aware that you're talking, but then you become like self-aware of the fact that you're aware that you're yes. talking. <laughs> yeah, you kind of float outside your body. Right. <laughs> yep. Did you have any expectations coming into this experience? I do feel like I was a little bit nervous just because I haven't spent time with you and Heidi before and, you know, traveling with people that you don't know well can either be, it can be challenging, it can really work out great and so there's there's always that sort of unknown of like how are we three women gonna vibe together I don't usually travel with other women it's usually just Michael and I and so this is definitely a different experience but it's been it's been really really nice I feel like we've had some really great conversations and we've gotten along super well I had to like take something to like scrape it off the bottom of this box because it was so juicy that it just like melded right Wait, into what, the what kind of purpose is this? Spider. Oh, very juicy. Just, uh, when I was in New Mexico, the, the insect game was strong. Yeah, scorpions and whatnot. Yeah. And I, I feel like for myself, the further you get away from college age, like the harder it can be to build close friendships. But I have found that when you have some common interests, like a common thread or common pursuits, and then you connect the outdoors to that, like it's, I I keep using the word cheesy because it feels cheesy, but it's also true. Like I think it's easier to build bonds faster when you're camping and cooking and hiking together. Yeah, I definitely think all of those things facilitate a lot more interesting conversations than the sort of things that you do together in a city. The going to movies, shopping, going to dinner, you know, it's just, it's a lot easier to, I think, be superficial when you don't have some of the external difficulties of the, uh, you know, the sesame oil that gets spilled in the backpack and, (laughs) you know, almost falling off rocks into the ocean and other bonding experiences. (laughs) You have to work together pretty quickly for that. As we were all getting to know each other, I grew more curious about this place. No, I just think a big thing for me, like with the outdoors, it comes with our territory. I feel like the ocean's our territory and the land is significant to us for sure when we were on the olympic peninsula i met lorraine there are eight tribes native to the peninsula lorraine is a member of the macaw tribe when i met her back in august i was too shy to ask for an interview it's funny it's a lot easier to ask someone for an interview over email than it is in person i guess that's the online offline thing we were talking about but 
In any case, she was gracious enough to hop on Skype to share some of her experience growing up in Nia Bay. I wanted to talk to Lorraine because there's only so much we can take in when we visit a place. And when I camp and backpack, I sometimes get a better feel for the elements than I do for the culture. Something to keep in mind as you listen to our conversation. Pre-contact means before European colonization of the United States. Okay, let's meet Lorraine. She's in her late 20s with two young boys. She's soft-spoken and oh-so-thoughtful. Born and raised here. Small and it's nice, so I really appreciate it now that I'm older. I moved away for college for about five months and then ended up coming back home, which was, it was a good experience. And it's nice now we can do everything online, so. What was special about growing up there? A sense of culture, I guess. And I really enjoy being away from a lot of people. So you've been here, so it's small. I really appreciate that we have the beach and the ocean and then we have the forest in our backyard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, what kind of stuff did you like to do in the outdoors when you were growing up? So my dad took us outside all the time. We constantly went hiking, especially in the wintertime when there were like less bugs and things to deal with. So we'd go on day hikes down to, it was always some beach and then we'd spend the day at the beach and then we'd go back home. And I was constantly outside. I wasn't the kind of girl that would stay inside and play Barbies. I was outside jumping on trees and things like that. We'd race in canoes. And, you know, I did all the cultural things. I did our native dancing. Basically it. (laughs) Played outside. (laughs) (laughs) What were those canoe races like? I'm very competitive, so (laughs) for me, it was really intense. We called ourselves a munchies crew, and there were 12 kids. And it's not like our ocean-going canoes. They're the smaller canoes. And we'd race in races up in Canada and some around Washington. Winner would get, like, five bucks or Pokemon cards or something cool like that. (laughs) Those were a lot of fun. You have kids, right? Yeah, I've got two sons. Is that something that you'd like to see them do? Oh, for sure. I'm already looking at smaller canoes for them. After moving to college, what I've really learned to appreciate was our family. We're such a tight-knit community. We've always got babysitter. We've got help if we need it. And I love that they get to be outdoors. I love that we don't get to go to the movies because we live two hours away. I love that they get the same cultural things I do, especially my background is working with the language program. So I get a lot of history and they learn from me. So that's really nice. Traditionally, we lived in longhouses. So all the families would live in one longhouse. And that's kind of how we're experiencing it today. So my sister lives right next to me. My other sister lives right next to me. My brother lives right next door. So we're all in the same area. That's so cool. I remember you said, I I feel like you said when, when we met back in August that other people who are close to your age have also had a renewed interest in, in culture. Well, I might 
feel like more now because I'm older, but so the museum is doing a really good job at preserving things. They're, they've got basket weaving classes to make, you know, replicas from uh, the artifacts that were found at the Ozette site, and they're doing carving classes and language classes and singing classes. So we're getting all those to the young people. So I think when the older people are ready to pass the torch, they'll be ready in a sense. Yeah, it's really great. I also remember you telling me a bit about the role that the sea plays in macaw culture. Is that something you could speak to a little bit? I was kind of hoping you'd bring that up. (laughs) (laughs) So pre-contact macaws, we depended on the sea. A really good book to read is called The Sea is My Country by Joshua Reed. And it talks about when Governor Stevens brought, you know, our leaders out to sign the treaty. That's what they explained. You know, the sea is our country. That's that's what we depend on. That's what our culture is based on. Pre-contact macaws had a surplus of like whale oil and pelts. So we controlled the trade up and down the coast. So we have arrowheads from Oregon and Idaho. And we traded as far as north as Vancouver Island. We've even have canoes from there <clears throat> and going a hundred miles out on a three day journey in a canoe was basically nothing back then. They were trained for it. And wow. that's where we got all our food and everything, you know, we have neighboring tribes and they have all the rivers and we don't have those vast rivers here. We have a big ocean. So that's what we depended on. There are stories when other tribes had famine, they would come over and be fed here. We depend on the sea a lot. <laughs> and that's basically what our culture is based around is the ocean. You'll see it in our artwork and things like that. What, what's the significance of, of whales in your culture? We hunted whales. <laughs> and that was our main source of protein. The men would go out and get... You know, there are three different species of whales, and then they'd come back and feed the village. We have songs that have to do with that and dances and things like that now. But, yeah, that was our main source of food. After contact, they started overfishing them extremely. So, And it was for the whale oil. People used it in, like, kerosene lamps and things like that after contact. And that's really different than the way the macaw used the whales. Yeah. Because they use the whole, you guys use the whole whale. Exactly. So we never wasted anything. We, you know, use up all the meat. Even the bones were used and they would be used as a drainage system out of a longhouse. And then, you know, it's in our artwork that use the bones for clubs. We use all the oil. We never wasted anything. Killer whales, I think, were of value, but we never ate them. They're in our stories and songs and things like that. And it's always at a higher standard for killer whales. That's really cool. They are beautiful. They really are. It's we went out last summer and it was so nice out on the ocean. Um, We had a big old male killer whale with a huge flute come next to us. It was amazing. It's super cool. 
Oh, that's another thing. I spend a lot of time on the water. My dad's a fisherman, so I think I've been fishing since I was like 11. I spend a lot of time on the ocean. Are there any places around the peninsula that are particularly special for you, having grown up there, that you like to go back to? There is a place I'll probably never forget. I was, I might have been 13, and I haven't been back there since because it's difficult to get to. So I remember hiking, and it felt like it took us all day long to get there. But in the middle of the forest, there's like this waterfall, and it was super pretty. It was amazing to look at, and I'll never forget that. That one kind of sticks in my mind, mm. but I'm, it's a long hike, so I haven't been back. <laughs> oh, it's so cool. I love memories like that. Yeah. We go to the beach whenever it's nice, so I've, we're always outside. We go on little short hikes now, but now that I've got kiddos, we're constantly outside. <laughs> I think that like a lot of times I will get stuck in one headspace and like routine just like perpetuates that. Mm -hmm. And um, I do find a lot of clarity when I'm outdoors. So like I used to go on like two, three hour bike rides up into the Cascades and you know, I would have had like a really, really hard day just like sitting at my desk, like grinding through work, whether it was emails or photo edits or conceptualizing for new projects and just feeling like I was like spinning my wheels and uh, working really hard and like not getting anything done if that makes sense like you get at the like at the end of this like long day and you're like what did I even do today and I would get on the bike and I would like go ride into the mountains and um, grind up this like literal mountain and you know, I'd turn around and come back into town and I'd have like six new ideas of it took me all day and I didn't like come up with anything. But on that one bike ride, getting the fresh air and just like flying down the side of a mountain, things start working because I think it's just like it's it's a new you allow for like a new headspace and the quiet that you get out here really allows for like all of the mental chatter to just kind of like subside. It definitely inspires creativity for me. I think it's a really great opportunity for both maybe like a specific thought, the repetitive motion of moving down a trail, like you can sometimes have this like great specific idea of something you want to implement, but it's also a really good time to kind of zoom out a little bit. And I think that it's given me a lot of time to reflect on where I am, the progress that I've made, and also uh, specifically some of the changes that I want to implement, some of the ways to you know, make sure that I'm just creating like a sustainable lifestyle for myself. Because sometimes you have to like pull away a little bit from your day-to-day life in order to really see with greater clarity maybe some of the like unnecessary drains on your energy that you've allowed into your life or just really kind of clarify that why behind what you're choosing to do and how you're choosing to spend your time. Which brings us to the creating. 
While on the coast, Heidi and Megan took in the surroundings and used their respective mediums, painting and cooking, to express what they experienced. We've been getting pretty early starts here, and so it's almost entirely covered in fog when we first get up. And that makes it really exciting when you're getting to rounding a corner and these sea stacks keep disappearing and emerging in the fog. So, yeah, we kind of went up over, like, almost like, it wasn't quite a cliff, but it felt kind of cliff-like where we were, like, straddling along the side. Yeah, going around the headland today was definitely pretty exciting. A little bit slippery at times, but um, the rock formations out there were really distinct. I mean, I'm used to seeing kind of like the big sea stack with some trees growing out of it, that sort of view around here in Washington State. But this was something very different. It almost looked volcanic. It was like ribbons of rock headed um, into the land and lots of different sea creatures and things that we were looking at. And um, with all the fog, it was really like almost eerie and otherworldly. You have kind of been scouting a location to paint at. How do you pick a location to paint? Like, what about this area makes you want want to paint? Well, I think this area is absolutely fantastic for painting purposes. Um, I love all of the brilliant greens. Um, the forest is just so alive. All these, um, you know, ferns, beautiful moss growing on trees, like all of those things I think are kind of an artist's dream. And then you have those points where the lush forest just like dead ends and these dramatic rocks that fall off into the ocean. And I always find that to be a stunning sight. Um, I also really enjoy painting fog. So around every corner basically is a potential painting. Last night I cooked um, soba noodles with a kind of a soy sesame broth. I pulled in some dried wild mushrooms from the area, you know, chanterelles and morels and some really fun colored lobster mushrooms. I also served it with this locally smoked salmon, which was phenomenal. Getting to use local flavors and ingredients can really round out an experience in a place where, you know, of course you're you're seeing the landscape and you're you're feeling the salty air and you're you're smelling the sea and the uh the taste of all of that kind of just like makes it this like full like 360 sort of experience to megan's sentiment i'd add there are so many layers that go into that 360-degree experience. Undistracted time for contemplation, all of our senses, an openness to better understand a place, and the people who help it all come together. What does it feel like when you can't paint when you want to? Um, I mean... There are like little twinges of regret because sometimes you say to yourself, oh, I'll come back some other time. But you know it's never going to be exactly the way it is right now. And that's what I like the most is this beach exactly the way it is right now. I mean, you come back another day and maybe the sun will be shining and the ocean will look really blue and you'll be able to see the horizon. It'll be a whole different set of colors, but it won't be today. 
sometimes I paint something and I think, oh, maybe it would be objectively more beautiful on a different day, but then someone else will see it and it'll remind them of the feeling they had when they were standing right there. And that can be the most important thing. I want to leave you with a parting question. How do you ground yourself in those fleeting moments? And what is your most important thing? Thank you to Megan McDuffie and Heidi Annalise for meeting me offline. You can find their blogs and portfolios and all links referenced in this episode listed in the show notes and on the episode landing page. Thank you so much to Lorraine Green for hopping on Skype and sharing her love of where she lives and the people who surround her. Thank you to the Macaw Tribe for their hospitality and welcoming nature. Thanks to Columbia Sportswear for their support of this episode. You can see the beautiful landscape of the Olympic Peninsula, the artwork Heidi created, as well as the meal that Megan cooked in their short film, Offline. Find it on their YouTube channel or linked in our show notes. If you enjoy She Explores, you'll probably enjoy our sister podcast, Women on the Road. Hosted by Laura Hughes, it's filled with stories of honest experiences of life on the road from the women who've lived it firsthand. And if you enjoy listening to She Explores, please take the time to review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It'll help other people find us. Even better, share She Explores with a friend. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, so make sure to tag us so we'll see it. For next week's episode, We'll talk with Sarah Menzies, the documentary filmmaker behind the forthcoming film, Afghan Cycles. Music is by Chris Zabriskie, Lee Rosevere, and Kay Angle, using Creative Commons attribution license via the Free Music Archive. Music is also by Snow Palms. Until next week, have fun out there. <laughs>